Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mets Legends Cast. I am your host, Rob Pearsall, joined by my co-host, Michael Jennings. Mike, what's, what's going on, brother? How are you? Doing well. Um, good to be back. I know I missed the last episode, but uh, definitely glad to be back in the thick of things. Um, Dude, it was lonely, man. I missed you. I was yeah, like, I, I was like, damn, I got to just listen to myself talk now for 20 minutes. Jesus, my voice is insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah i mean at least you were able to keep it to 20 minutes for once i feel like we always talk about trying to do that and it always ends up being at least 40 so <laughs> yeah you know i will say though i did miss the banter like you can't really banter with yourself so like True. that's probably why it was like 20 minutes like i was just like <laughs> i need to get to the point of this right now i need to talk about john rouch and that's it <laughs> yeah um that was an interesting I, time in in uh mets legends lore because they were decidedly bad, um, you know, during those years. And some really great names came out of it. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll talk about that in our, our, our episode later this week. Um, but right now, the Mets are involved in a managerial search. Obviously, mm-hmm. they have been for the last couple of weeks. Um, and we didn't really talk about this much yet. Um, but they've narrowed it down to three guys. So we have Buck Showalter, who kind of seems to be the consensus favorite among the fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of seems like you have him as the front runner, even involved, <clears throat> I'm sorry, even in the eyes of like uh, insiders and other people in the media. I, I mean, I saw this this quote today from Mark Teixeira, who is saying that Buck Walter is the smartest baseball person that he knows. Um, so it really feels like he's getting the job. Um, I guess there's the off chance that maybe he bombs in the second interview with Steve Cohen in person. Um, and then Mets pivot to the, one of the other two candidates who are of course, uh, Houston Astros bench coach, um, Joe Espada and Tampa Bay Rays bench, co- bench coach, Matt Quattraro who if he becomes manager having oh. to say his name all the time, <laughs> yeah. it's going to get botched so much because there's that like awkward R in there. Yeah. But so you have like, and even looking back at like when they had the larger scope of candidates, you can kind of mm-hmm. see who like was picked out by who kind of, you know, like you yeah. had Buck Showalter, then you had the kind of more forward thinking uh, bench coach, like former bench coaches, that are interviewing for this managerial job in Espada and Quatraro, who mm-hmm. very well might have been picked out by um, Ben Zausmer, who is uh, like kind of the heading the analytics department for the Mets. Yeah. Um, Brad Osmus, obviously, who worked with Billy Epler in uh, Los Angeles. And honestly, I don't know about you, I was kind of surprised that that Brad Osmus didn't get that didn't get the callback interview um, because I thought yeah. that you know. He would have been an interesting choice. I think, um, I think ultimately, like if you're going for someone who's cut from a little bit of, and, and that's not to say, like, I don't know that much about Brad Ausmus, but like, to me, he seems like in, in a little bit of like an in-between era of baseball player. Um, you know, I remember he was an early two thousands catcher for the Houston Astros forever. Um, and then when he became a manager, you know, I don't know what his stance on, you know, analytics is or anything like that. Um, I'm sure he's open to it being one of like the younger managerial candidates, but, um, but yeah, it was very much, 
like Buck Showalter is a is an old school guy with a track record. And then almost every other candidate that I saw, other than like Curtis Granderson, who's a complete unknown, um, has like an analytics background or at least has worked for um, a an organization that is sort of at the forefront of this like analytical baseball movement um, from front office down to the dugout. You know, I, I got to say, like, I didn't think Granderson was ever a serious candidate. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was ever someone who was going to become the manager. Um, he doesn't have any coaching experience at any level of the minor leagues. He was a great clubhouse guy, really mm-hmm. um, stand up person. And I think Mets fans love him. Um you know, especially, and, and he's someone who I think kind of gets skipped over a little bit in regards to like players from, oh, look at you. Mike is holding up an awesome uh, Curtis Granderson bobblehead. Where Let's lead on like, heads. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, Detroit, Detroit <laughs> Tigers minor league. Yep. Um, <laughs> I have a, I bought like a bunch of bobbleheads off my buddy, Mike Mayer, who, um, yeah. Right. Right. Who's the editor for Metsmerize. He was selling like a bunch of bobbleheads and I bought like a few off of them, but I bought a Dice K Matsuzaka Paw Tucket Red Sox uh, <laughs> bobblehead. It's awesome. super cool. And nice. I, I, so I have like, I got like, I bought like six bobbleheads off of them mm-hmm. and I'm really excited to put them on my shelf. So nice. Um, love me some minor league uh, yeah. bobbleheads. Oh, cool. I just love me some Curtis Granderson. Um, that's, oh that's yeah. Why, me too. That's why I held it up. Um, he, I think he, I have, he could be a really interesting manager for the future. Um, like everything anyone says about him or when you see interviews with him, like he's just such an upstanding guy that I think, you know, anybody could follow him. Um, but clearly he has some developing to do if that's really what he wants to do. If he wants to be a manager, like I feel like he's got to get some coaching experience first. Totally. And he's a great um, analyst. He is, he is. And he's someone too that like, just his delivery, you know, his, his stature, when he talks to the media, when he talked, when he's an, when he's an analyst, mm-hmm. and even I remember when he was on the Mets, like he just, he's very articulate. He's someone who's very smart. And yeah. um, I, I wouldn't see him really, I, I couldn't really see him getting flustered talking to the media. Like I think that oh, he never. can handle yeah. the New York media. Yeah. He can handle um, it at any I mean, time for sure especially since he played here, you know, and yeah. honestly, like it's something that what I, I would have liked to see like it, you know, in an alternate reality where we actually got to see Carlos Beltran be the manager. Yeah. Like it would have been interesting to see him talking to the media after the games. Cause like we never saw that. So we don't know how he would have panned out. Um, yeah. But that kind of leads me back into, you know, this managerial search of, mm-hmm. you know, Beltran was a guy who, didn't coach either you know he was he wasn't mm-hmm. a coach at any level of the minors and the Mets I feel like at the Wilpon era like like the talents of the Wilpon era they had these they, they, they were trying to do these like out-of-the-box hires yeah like in an attempt to kind of like go against the grain or maybe like start a new trend or like be at, at the forefront of something mm-hmm. and mostly they all failed I mean you had Beltron you know that was kind of an unfortunate scenario but you know mickey calloway obviously was not a manager and they were trying to get like the next like best like you know new best guy and we all know how that panned out yeah brody van wagenen agent i was just gonna say yeah yeah. um so brody's maybe the most obvious of those like trying trying to start something new that just didn't really work out Um, yeah 
like yeah, yeah. i guess props to to them for trying something new because clearly something new needed to happen and that something new ended up being steve cohen and i'm fine with that <laughs> yeah i mean brody van wagen and like you know that was kind of just like i feel like a last ditch effort for like the mets yeah. to like you know try something under the willpon era because like you know, they had to know that the team was like, that they were like on the cusp of having to sell the team. Like that couldn't have been like an overnight Oh yeah, thing. no, no, yeah, for sure. Uh, so they were kind of just like trying to throw shit against the wall and hoping that something would stick. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to talk about your Brad Ausmus point of like, I agree, mm-hmm. like he is, he is kind of in that like in, like in between type, like baseball manager of like, he's not like fully an old school guy, but he's not like a newer school guy who really, you know, from what I understand, doesn't really embrace analytics. He didn't have a ton of success in Detroit. He didn't have a ton of success in LA. Mm -hmm. And I think it was pretty telling too that when Max Scherzer came out recently and said that he endorsed Buck Showalter, or like, you know, we heard reports that he was endorsing Buck Showalter as the next manager. Like it was kind of telling because, because Brad Ausmus managed him in Detroit, you know? So for him to not be like, you know, I really like Brad, it was kind of a little telling. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe it's nothing. Well, that, I'm just reading into it. You know. I mean that. Yeah, true. I mean, but that era in Detroit was just a weird time. I mean, those are some hyper talented teams um, that have had, you know, Cy Young. You know, what was it like? Five, five of their pitching staff have gone on from that era have gone on to win uh, Cy Youngs. It was like Verlander, Porcello, Scherzer. Um, well, it was they all won World Series. That's what it was. They all oh, they all ended up World winning World Series, Series after right. they left Detroit. So it was that's right. It was it was Porcello with the Red Sox, Scherzer and Anibal Sanchez with the with the Nationals. That's right. Um, Justin Verlander with the Astros, and then mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of slipping my mind who the fifth guy is. Um, Jeremy Bonderman, maybe definitely Jeremy <laughs> Bonderman. <laughs> I don't think it's Jeremy Bonderman. Definitely not Jeremy Bonderman. <laughs> I remember Jer- Jeremy Bonderman. I feel like was around for such a long time for like no reason. Like he was yeah. a Detroit Tiger for like a decade. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember seeing him at one of the first Mets games I ever went to in like 2002 as like a when he was a Tiger. I mean, he was um, a, he was a Toledo Mudhen before that, so I've, I've yeah. definitely seen my fair share of of Jeremy Bonderman as well. But let's yeah, Jer- if we if we take a look at who's left right in the in the manager search, we have Buck Showalter, Joe Espada, and Matt uh, Quattraro. Like we said, um, I did a little bit of a, a deep dive on Buck Showalter, particularly his time with the Baltimore Orioles, which I think is definitely his most uh, prominent era of his managerial career so far. Um, he did manage the 1999 Arizona Diamondbacks, who won 100 games. Um, which was a really fun team to look back at. You know, Randy Johnson, Luis Gonzalez, um, and, you know, the likes of, of that team. You know. Was Aruby El Dorazo on those teams? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not seeing his name. He was the GOAT. He had, he was, he had a lot of power, that guy. Yeah, but, I mean, talk about Mets legends on this team, too. You have... Rod Barajas, a young Rod Barajas. Really young five, Rod Barajas. Yeah, caught five games. Um, there's a middle infielder named Edwin Diaz. <laughs> four <laughs> games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, Bernard Gilkey, a 32-year-old Bernard I didn't Gilkey. even know that he was on the – I never even knew that he played for the Diamondbacks. That's funny. Yeah, 
Yeah. He had, he had such a monster season in like 1997. Yeah. He had like seven wins above replacement, like for no reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, please, please give us a little bit more of a, a rundown on Buck. I know you've been doing some research on him. So, yeah. So he, he managed the Orioles from 2010 to 2018. Um, and he had some really great years and some really horrific years, um, particularly his last year in 2018. They went 47 and 115. Um, that is pretty atrocious. But um, in the meantime, in 2012, 2014, and 2016, um, each of those Orioles teams, and I remember watching these teams thinking like, you know, this is a really fun team. They were, they were really well balanced. Um, they had a, a really good bullpen, uh, a solid starting three, and then um, just like a generally fun field with the likes of Matt Wieters, um, you know, obviously Adam Jones, Nick Markakis, mm-hmm. Chris yeah. Davis when he was still – obliterating baseballs yep. um a very young manny machado and yeah and also a young uh jonathan scope who has just been solid for pretty much his whole career um and then uh an aging brian roberts as well so they were kind of you know in transition into like a really fun young team with some guys who are getting into their their prime like adam jones and nick markakis and Chris Davis, um, uh, but also a fair share of Mets legends on these teams as well. Looking back at 2012, you have Andy Chavez, Omar Quintanilla, um, Ronnie Paulino, and then on the back end of their pitching staff, they had Tommy Hunter, recent Mets legend, uh, and Darren O'Day as well. So um, plenty of plenty of Mets legends lore within these Orioles teams, but also really fun Orioles teams that I'm, I would be interested to see how he handles um, like the current situation with the Mets. Um, you know, they have some pretty hyper talented players, kind of like not exactly the same kind of situation because they don't have any like home run, you know, young studs coming up uh, like a Manny Machado right now. But um but they do have a lot of talent on this team and a lot of bench depth as well. Um, so it'll be, it would be interesting to see how he handles that uh, from a manager's perspective. Do you have any thoughts on that? So, yeah, I mean, like at this point, like, you know, I know like Buck Showalter, like, like the kind of like the knock on him is that he doesn't have a ton of like playoff success in his mm-hmm. managerial career, like at all. Um, but I will say like, I am fine with him being the manager of the team at this point. Like, because like I do like, like at this point, like I am just kind of like in the mindset of that. I want to see the team have like a, like an established manager or like a veteran manager. Like, I mean, he's managed in New York too. You know, yeah. He managed the Yankees in the nineties. Yep. So he's been around the block. I think that he'll do a good job of, handling the media, which we saw, you know, managers like Mickey Calloway struggle with at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Luis Rojas is pretty good with the, with the media for the most part. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you never, you don't know how things are behind the scenes. Rojas to me seemed like he was a little bit too like even keel yeah. to be like a manager, like in New York, like, like you saw him get heated sometimes where 
you know, you know, he got ejected from games here and there, but mm-hmm. overall, Rojas seems like a very laid back type yeah. of character. And, and I think he will be a good manager one day, you know, maybe even for the Yankees. I mean, he's their third base coach now. Yeah. You know, he maybe he gets bumped up to bench coach at some point and then, you know, he's in the running for their next manager um, mm-hmm. after Boone leaves, whenever that is. Um, but I'm fine with Buck being manager. Um, he is an old school guy, but we have seen other, you know, old school guys that are still managing today yeah. having success. I mean, you look at Dusty Baker, who's done a really good job, especially with the fallout of the, of the Astros. Yeah. Um, you look at, you look at Dusty Baker and he's done a really good job of handling those, those, those Astros teams. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I think he's being fed, uh, analytics kind of from his bench coach who is Joe Espada. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I think that the Mets need to, if they do hire Buck Showalter, they need to bring in someone who's going to be a little bit more analytically savvy, uh to kind of feed information to Buck Showalter. And I think a big part of him getting the job is that he's got to show Steve Cohen and company that he's willing to do that because they have invested a lot of time and effort into bolstering their analytics department. Yeah. And it, from a tweet that I saw um, from Mike Mayer recently, their analytics department is growing at such a precipitous rate that they're clearly like, like, you know, making sure that that's this a big is part thing of the future going forward. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's, it'll be good to have a veteran manager in there. The Mets have a lot of veterans on their team, but I think Showalter is a good fit. Um, I'd be fine with any three of the candidates, honestly, at this point. But it kind of seems like it's it's tilting in the direction of Showalter. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it def, it's def, it's obvious that Showalter is the uh, is the front runner. But I would be interested in, you know, when when you think of, you know, advanced analytics, like the Rays are always at the cutting edge of mm-hmm. uh, you know what's you know, what's the latest trend in and how things are handled at, at you know for any really major league franchise um i feel like they're always the blueprint that people point back to so having a guy like uh you know matt quartraro and that's going to be hard to say if he does get the yeah. job yeah um you know that would be interesting uh to see to see how he goes from you know the the Tampa Bay Rays who are good at a very specific thing, but aren't a big market team in any way uh, to being the the manager of that. I, what's even more interesting to me would be Joe Espada because the Astros are also sort of at the forefront of analytics to the point of, you know, cheating for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, like they're still a very like analytical you know, advanced analytics heavy organization um, that has been super successful um, in the past few years. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm a little more interested in what what Joe Espada could bring to the table than I guess Quartraro. Um, but yeah, I, I'm generally in agreement. I think I would be happy with any of them, but I think Buck kind of he kind of fits a mold that I think could do well. In New York, because mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, he like you said, he managed the Yankees and he managed the Orioles, who are a very historic team. And you know, despite them being, like you said before uh, we started, a pit of despair, um, <laughs> you know, they have they have some very real and like a, a very uh, you know adamant fan base. Um, 
and they love him you know he's mm-hmm. he's he's like universally beloved in baltimore from what i can tell yeah um yeah like i think like maybe a year ago um six months ago like show walter wouldn't have been like the sexiest of names to me mm. um but i just want to like reiterate like the point like that i had earlier of earlier of like right now i think that I think that it is a good decision. If they, like I said, I'm happy with any three of the hires that they make. Mm-hmm. I really think it's kind of a two horse race. It's not really a race at all. I think it's gonna be Showalter. I think if they don't go Showalter, I think it would probably be Espada next. Yeah. Um, I don't really see a scenario where Quattraro is the guy that becomes the manager, and it's a shame. It's like I'd like if they could get both those, like any of those guys, like two out of three of those guys, like have one of them be a manager, bench coach. Bench coach. Yeah. But. I doubt that a spotter or Cotraro are going to make a lateral move to come here unless it's like, yeah. unless there's kind of like a, like a, when Showalter retires, you'll mm. be then like, you know, there'll be like a contingency plan, but that kind of like leads me to my point of like, you bring Showalter in, if he's open-minded to analytics, which you're kind of hoping that like that comes to the territory at this point, right? Like that you also bring in a bench coach, who's going to be who already like, speaks the language. Yeah. Who is yeah. like a Quattraro or who is yeah. like a Espada who can feed Showalter that information, learn from a veteran manager, and then maybe set himself up because that's what they need too. Mm-hmm. So like you look at the Mets, their bench coaches over the last like five years, they've had five different bench coaches. Yeah. They haven't had a bench coach for more than one year. This mm-hmm. past year it was, um, who was their bench coach this past year? It wasn't Gary DeSarcino, was it? I don't even know. Um, and that's that's kind of telling it how how volatile the, the, the position has been. I'm going to look uh, this up really quick. I mean, I know Hensley Mullins was the bench coach last year. Right. Um, let's see. List of Mets bench coach. Jim Riggleman was before that. Uh, Dave Jouse? Dave Jouse, that's right. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was Joust this past year. The, before that, it was Mullins. Before that, it was Riggleman. Then yeah. I think it was Dick Scott. And then it was Gary DeSarcina. So it's like the bench yeah. coach, like, like now is like the time. It's like you bring in a show welter, you bring in a bench coach you're going to have for more than one year, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe you have a guy that like, you know, Rojas would have been a good bench coach, but he's not going to, you know, go from being manager to bench yeah. coach. And that, that yeah. wasn't going to happen. Right. So that's kind of my ideal scenario. Um, and I'm, like, I'm fine with Buck at this point, like, especially with like how more important like front offices are in regards to like game plan and stuff like that. Now, like mm-hmm. it's not like it was in like the seventies where like, it's all going to be like thrust upon Buck. Like, you know, yeah. you just, if you have people around him in place that are smart and are going to be giving him information along with like his veteran leadership, I think it could be a good fit here in New York. I agree. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll have a resolution um, for that uh at some point this week uh it seems like the 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 in-person interviews are going down this week or it doesn't seem like they are um you know so i think we'll hear sooner rather than later um but we'll keep you guys up to date with that um so yeah that's kind of our thoughts on that um is there anything else you wanted to add about buck or about any of the managerial candidates um just to bring it back to well i guess i already talked about the um the Mets legends aspect of his tenure with the, with the Orioles, but um, no, not really. Um, I here's the buck wish him the best. And uh, I hope they end up choosing him. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with. I'm totally fine with that too. I think I've actually kind of like, like, my my heart at this point now is like kind of hoping for buck for buck too. So like, mm-hmm. I'm in. I'm I'm in on the buck train. I'm fine with it. I, I think that's that's a cool hire. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, also, I remembered who the other tiger was in that rotation, and it was oh, yeah. David Price. David Price. That's right. Yeah, not Jeremy Bonderman as much as I would have liked for it to be. What a ridiculous. What a ridiculous pitching rotation that they didn't do anything with. I mean, it's pretty crazy that they have five guys who went on to win World Series elsewhere. Like that must be a really like really big gut punch for Detroit Tigers fans to like see like every pitcher that was in that oh, rotation yeah. win a World Series. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like the Mets like, too. Like it's crazy. Like yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like seeing like like being a Mets fan now and seeing like the Marlins, the Nationals, the Braves, and the Phillies like all win World Series and mm-hmm. in, in, you know in this new uh, century. Um, yeah, and they're kind of still waiting. Yeah, um, but hopefully, hopefully the Mets will get there soon. Um, before we sign out, why don't we remember some Mets legends? Um, we haven't done this in a while. So. Yeah, let's do that. I'll rem- I'll let you start. Who are you remembering today? Um, you know what? Just because of my research into Buck Showalter and his, uh, you know, I'm going to go with, go with an Oriole here. And uh, the most recent, one of the most recent Mets legends to receive his Mets legend for life card. I'm going to go with Tommy Hunter. Yeah. Tommy Hunter is the man. Um, I mean, I know he was only on the Mets for a brief time, but I was at the game like the day after the, the, the rat raccoon incident this year. Um, and he like was an opener for that game, and the Mets ended right. up winning. Yeah, and like Lindor hit a home run, and they had like the graphic of like a raccoon on the screen. Very like weird. <laughs> that was also when like City Field was like there was like a like a capacity limit, so it was like right. It was like a like a like, like a full. semi full like stadium, you know. Yeah. Um. So Tommy Hunter's a good one. I'm going to let's see. The first guy that popped to my mind, Luis Ayala who nice. was not very good, good in the 2008 <laughs> Mets team. Um, they kind of got him, like, to try to bolster the the team, like the bullpen core, like, for the playoff push, and they didn't end up making the playoffs, and he was pretty bad. But yeah. Luis Ayala was the guy that I, I'm thinking of. So Tommy Hunter and Luis Ayala, some bullpen legends. Bullpen legends. So, anyway, that about wraps it up for today. Um, I'm Rob Pearsall. This is Mike Jennings. And we'll see you guys later this week. Looking forward to it.